Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. you could join us. This is going to be a fun evening. Uh, but first, let me thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. I so appreciate his being with us every every night. And please check out his website and, and him. Native storytellers have an amazing talent and gift for, preser- gift for preserving history and cosmology in stories that they pass on generation to generation. It's something we should all be aware of and probably try to pass down our own personal family histories to our children down that way so that they are able to retain the history of a family. So tonight I have Robert Sullivan IV with us again, and um, I'm very excited about this book uh, because it was a long time in coming. It comes in at over 800 pages. And uh, he has been everyone's favorite Freemason. He strikes again with Cinema Symbolism 3, Mysteries of the Occult, of Occult Hollywood Unveiled. Applying his expert and objective observations, he analyzes a new slate of movies revealing Tinseltown's esoteric and dark secrets. Some of the films that he dissected are The Mummy, The Witch, Lolita, The Joker, Dark City, The Red Shoes, Midsommar, Eraserhead, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Dark Knight, The Shape of Water, and, and, and many other ones, and of course, uh, the vast mythology of Twin Peaks. From Gnosticism to Freemasonry to Black Magic and Kabbalah, no rock has been left unturned, and I promise you that's true. So just also be aware that this is not for everyone, because sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. Robert is a historian, philosopher, writer, antiquarian, lay theologian, mystic, jurist, radio TV personality, showman, best-selling author, CEO, and attorney. 
1997, he became a Freemason, having joined the amicable St. John's Lodge Number 25 in Baltimore, Maryland, and he became a 32nd degree uh, Scottish Rite Mason in 1999. He's an amazing man with an amazing amount of information inside that head of his. Uh, welcome to the show, Robert. Hey, Barbara. Thanks for having me on Nightlight. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Uh, I don't know. I think between Mark and I, you've been on the show maybe five or six times, and always you bring new and different material. However, this last book, in my humble opinion, should have been a three-book box set. Um 800 pages was overwhelming, and it was it's so intense that, for me, if it had been three separate books or even two separate books, it would have been easier for me to grasp everything because it's a big book. It's a heavy book. So, um, But I loved it, the material, and it was phenomenal. And how you, how you put as much investigation into all of this, you know, I don't know, because you have gone from just the, the – the symbolism one where it was basically the symbolism in each movie to stretching it into um you know going into the history of the gnosticism and the and the times and it you, you gave so much information it's i would imagine you probably had to cut it down at, at even at this length yeah the book the book did come in I, I always like just writing large books. I, to me, it's just, you know, I guess who I am. Uh, I just like to put as much information as I can in there. The book was shorter at one point in time. Um, and what did kind of increase the length of it was, um, at the, at, let's say, this would have been about two years ago. In fact, it would have been about two years ago this exact time. Um, this would have been January of 2020 or so was I saw, uh, at that point in time, I saw Joker and Midsommar. And I was so impressed with both those movies. I thought, well, there's just no way possible um, I can leave these out. I mean, there was just too much going on in those two films. So I kind of pumped the brakes on my end, and um, uh, I, I decided to, you know, add. I, I wanted to add Hereditary also, but I thought, no, that's too much. Um, I thought, I'll save that for part four. So I did add Midsommar <laughs> and Joker, and um, they are just so, you know, in-depth, both of those movies. Um, and I think Midsommar... I think the breakdown on that is the largest one in the book. So that definitely increased the length. Um, and, and Joker, of course, also. They, they, you know, both movies have a lot, have a lot happening um, inside them. So that definitely increased the length. But in the end of the day, I was, uh, I, I was uh, happy with the way it came out. I, I, did, I didn't excise anything. Um, it was just I added those two at the very end, which definitely probably tacked on an extra 100 pages easily. Uh, so, so that's how it got its length. And um, – I was real happy with the way it came out, and uh, I've already started outlining part four. Um, so, oh my gosh. you know, we'll yeah, we'll we'll take it from there. I just uh, yeah, I've already started doing that. Um, so, yeah, it, ne- it never ends. No, I can I can see that, and you know, it's it's you know, a lot of the some of the movies I I have seen, some I have not. I did I did go and watch a couple of them. Uh, which extended the time that I spent, you know, prepping for the show because I wanted to get some of them under my belt. But, you know, I think what impressed me so much from the first book to this book, I mean, you give 
an outline of the movie in case people have not seen it, which I think really benefits the reader so that they can understand it. And, and you know, you, you go into such depth as to the esoteric meaning behind so much of the, the, uh, the, the, the show. So that so that you're 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 kind of getting an idea as to what was what they were trying to depict and and actually present to the reader or the watcher of the movie. Uh, it, sure. It, your yeah. books have your books have totally constantly changed the way that I look not only at movies but at advertising at television. I mean it's it's amazing how it it can if you let it expand your sensitivity to other things that are going on not only in the television show but in movies as well and it gives you a, a greater depth of understanding of the message that that they're trying to portray yeah no i i i completely agree with that i've um i i always i've always put the plot of the movie in um and i do that for two reasons one is um i've been criticized for that but i always do it for two reasons one is i always um, find that, you know, sometimes the person hasn't seen the movie and it might pique their interest in the movie. But a lot of times the plot in of of itself, it has importance. Um, I mean, and this is especially true when you're dealing with things like the monomyth uh, with Campbell. I mean, the plot in of of itself is the symbolism, um, you know, the solar journey, journey, the hero's journey, what have you. So um, I've, I've always done that. And I, for me personally, I, I find that it helps me um, – you know, write the analysis because, um, you know, it, it's like, you know, you're going through the movie and you got to say what's happening. You say, well, this is happening and here's what's going on in the background or keep an eye out for this. I mean, I just find that if I tried writing it the other way and I just find it comes out hodgepodge. If you just say, well, in Angel Heart, you know, this happens, um, you know, it's like, well, there's no context per se. You don't know what's going on, that this is this, you know, 1950s noir satanic murder mystery involving these mysterious figures. So I've always found that kind of describing the, you know, the atmosphere of the movie, the plot, introducing the characters, um, this, this for me at any rate, this is just Rob Sullivan speaking, this for me just helps elucidate the hidden meaning of what's going on, you know, sort of within the celluloid. Um, that, that's, that's for me anyway. So, yeah, I always... Um, I always give a description of the movie. Um, now, sometimes in the introduction, I don't. I say, you know, just keep an eye out for this or whatever. But, you know, that's, of course, um, you know, or, or I say, you know, hey, I analyzed this movie in part two, but take a look at this. I, you know, I, I you know, sometimes I do that. I, I'm constantly finding that um, I, I analyze a movie and then, you know, there's always one or two little details that uh, occur to me, you know, a year or two later after watching it again for like the 10th time or something. Um, so... Um, it's always a good way to put that stuff in the introduction. Um, and like I said, I've already started outlining part four. So, no, I was real happy with the way uh, part three came out. And um, I'm glad you liked it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I was very, very pleased with it. Well, I think this time you have included so much more of the history of the time and things like that that – uh, I mean, you go way back to the first century B.C. after, you know, you know, you know, BC, you, you go way back to the beginning of history and stuff like that to give a better understanding of, of the, um, the, 
the spiritual aspect that is going on as well. So you're covering a lot more bases in this book than you have in other books. You're bringing in the tarot. You're bringing in um, astrology. You're bringing in all sorts of other aspects of analyzing these movies to the point yeah. that you know you, you've you've taken them apart into there are so many pieces to the jigsaw. I found for me. It, it was, you know, remembering that there is a whole picture I'm looking at, not just the jigsaw pieces that he's giving me that are fabulous support to the to the premise of what's going on. But um, it was yeah. it was amazing. I I was blown away with that approach to what you were writing. Yeah, I I I I I thought that was really sort of for me sort of one of the you know one of the ways that works effective for me. I remember. Um, when I was doing the chapter, I believe it's chapter two with the with called Gnostic Hollywood. Um, I mean, I just made up my mind. I thought in order for this chapter to really work, um, I thought, let me, you know, let me give you this little like, uh, you know, dictionary at the beginning of it, where I just go through all the main tenets of Gnosticism. And I thought the best way for me to do this is, I thought it's, it's twofold. I thought I could do that. I said, you know, I could tell you what, what, you know, define Gnosticism and get into the tenets of it and things like that. I thought, but then I can apply it to films that I've already analyzed, like the Truman Show and the Matrix and Fight Club and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, so you have, you have really a broad spectrum of looking at it. You'll have an understanding of what, you know, the philosophy or the ideology is, and then I'm going to apply it to a movie that you're probably going to recognize, and then when it comes up again in a new movie that I'm analyzing, like Dark City or, you know, Metropolis or what have you, it'll be much more understandable. So I, I thought it worked well. And um, the, the one thing for me that always kind of is surprising to me is I always try to, um, is, is for whatever reason, I don't know why this is, the introductions seem to go on and on. I mean, they just seem, I, I've had a couple of people tell me you could, have, you could get a book out of the introductions alone. I've always yes. found that it, it's just, um, yeah, it, it, it just for me, it's just kind of like, I feel like this, you know, to, you know, you're dealing with a lot of very deep arcane, doctrines that i think you know a lot of people aren't familiar with um you know and alchemy and spiritual alchemy and psychological alchemy and how they overlap and interrelate um and you know how you know it's this and that but when you look at it like this it could mean this this to me is um something that you know i i find that it has to be explained to be really understood and to explain it very in depth so um yeah, I mean, like I said, I definitely went all in on it, and uh, in the end of the day, I was, like I said, I was, you know, I thought it came out really well, and uh, I was happy with it. And I'm certainly the the one thing I, I've I've already I can tell you right now with Cinema Symbolism Four is I've started doing that again. Um, I, I find that um, one of the things that I, I talk about um, on shows such as this is um, how this how this uh, modality uh, or this discipline predates. Hollywood, how you'll find it in other, you know, how you'll find it in the 19th century American authors or Shakespeare, or Wagner or whatever. So I thought, well, let me put my money where my mouth is. So when, when, when you read Cinema Symbolism 4, I'm going to go back in time and show you how stuff turns up in Christopher Marlowe and Shakespeare and some of these earlier works, because I'm constantly telling, you know, when, when I do shows that, you know, this is all predates Hollywood. Hollywood is just the latest iteration of this. Um, 
so so I thought, let me go back in time and give some really good examples. I've done it in other books. Um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've alluded to things in Shakespeare and other books and things like that. But I thought, let me go back in time and really give you some hardcore examples of, uh, you know, in, in Shakespeare and Marlowe and people like that of, uh, you know, how they're using this in their plays and in their dramas uh, to convey different things. Now, you, you go into great depth in, in a lot of the movies. And I'm wondering, was, the, was it the intention of those producers and writers and whatever, cinematographers, was it their intention to portray the things you're seeing? Or, I mean, in some cases it was, but do you think that some of what you've picked up has almost been an intuitive thing that was put into into something without them thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, th- this is a great question, and I think that in, you know, again, you have to you have to go case by case with this. Um, it's not a universal answer. You just have to look at a movie, um, you know, on, on its individual basis. Um, yeah, I mean, some of it is without question intentionally um, placed in the film. Um, there's no doubt about that. I think I think in some aspects of it, um, you know, and again, especially when you're getting into the areas of, um, you know, where, where the film becomes like prophetic, um, you know, I think in, in some cases like that, this seems to be more of a supernatural effect um, going on um, within, within the celluloid um, that's kind of very difficult to explain. Um, and, you know, I get, I get into... Um, you know, with the works of like Carl Jung um, and people like that. And, you know, even, you know, going back in time to people like Emanuel Schwettenborg and, you know, Plato and people like that, you know, the whole idea of creation being the sort of divine expression. And I guess sometimes certain things may creep into the movie that's unintentional, that's even, you know, that the filmmakers are even unaware of it, you know, perhaps, you know, on some sort of mystical subconscious level. So again, that's very, that's very possible. Um, Again, though, you know, you just have to take it case by case because a lot of it, again, maybe not all of it, is um, is, is intentionally placed. I mean, I was just watching the the one movie I just got on Blu-ray last week um, that has a lot going on in it, um, but I don't think it's anything really sinister. It's a lot of homages to earlier um, works as the uh, latest Halloween movie, Halloween Kills. I thought that was very well done. Um, but there's some things going on in it that, I mean, I know that are intentional, Um you know, I mean, I just know that they are, um, but it was a great movie. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, a lot of it, I do. Th- I mean, again, it's just a case by case analysis. You just have to look at the movie on its individual, you know, on, on an individual basis and uh, take it from there. At least that's what I do. Um, you know, I and I'm going to I'm going to throw my 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 suggestion again in uh, to to take a look at Avatar. Because even I could see some of the symbolism in that, and that's without even looking. So, uh, you know, there, are, you know, I, I, I keep throwing it at you. Sooner or later you'll see the movie. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll get around to watching other, it. One of the things that, that, you know, hit me as we were going, as, as, you know, I was looking at all the movies that you have analyzed, um, how about cartoons, you know, and, and not, not Mickey Mouse and, you know, Daffy Duck, but some of the, the animated shorts that are out there um, that are profound, 
um, is this, can you can you get into the same way of analyzing them, or or is that just way too contrived? No, I don't think it's contrived at all. Um, especially, it's it's funny you mention that because um, one of the it, it's funny it's actually funny that you you actually mentioned that to me because one of the things that I was going to I'm going to analyze in part four um, that I, I kind of it's one of those things where I kind of like, how did this, um, you know, kind of like get through the cracks was, um, the old, uh, MTV Aeon Flux, um, cartoon, um, which was on, uh, I think it was liquid television. Um, that there, there was a couple of them. There was the first series and I think there was a second series. There was a movie in the mid two thousands, which I'm probably going to avoid because it wasn't very good, but the, um, old animated, um, it was, it was, uh, in the 1990s, I want to say, so it was the, I believe it was around like the mid '90s, like '92, '93, '94, somewhere in there. Um, it was a very popular television show, and um, it incorporated. Um, I mean, just just her name, Aeon alone, you know, is a reference to you know Gnostic uh, theology. Um, and when you when you look at it, I mean, uh, there, there was the original series, and there was a second series. I mean, the second series definitely got into. Um, a lot of Gnostic uh, undertones. I mean, I believe there was an episode called the Demiurge. Um, you were, you know, there, there was, uh, you know, the whole notion of a false reality, you know, or multiple realities. The woman kept dying, yet kept being brought back to life. Um, so that was something that, uh, I, you know, I, I was always a big fan of that show and I always liked it. Um, I was, I was sitting there, I was like, oh, how did this uh, get by me all these years with all these movie books I've done? I've never, I've never mentioned Aeon Flux one time, especially when I was analyzing Gnosticism. So I, I thought that, uh, I would take that on in part four. Um, so no, I mean, that was a cartoon. Granted it was an adult cartoon, but I, I always thought there was a lot going on in the, in, in that, uh, in that show. And, uh, um, you know, it, was, it had a very dystopian feel to it. I remember the very first episode um, had to do with a virus, um, you know, kind of, you know, reflecting the times we're living in and an antidote. And the guy wanted to keep the antidote to himself, but eventually released it to the public. Um, I believe that was the pilot episode of that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So I thought, no, I'll, I'll take on Aeon Flux uh, in, in, in part four. And I've done some of the Walt Disney uh, stuff in other, in other books as well. Um, I guess that's more though a movie that's a full-length feature, just a, an animated full-length feature. So, um, no, I mean, you know, you, you can definitely get into sophisticated uh, cartoons uh, with esoteric symbolism, no doubt about it. Yeah, I think they're out there. I think more so than, than ever before, to be honest with you. I mean, when I think of even um, Tolkien with his Lord of the Rings, I mean, you know, that has so much symbolism in it. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, that was uh, – I took on um, the Lord of the Rings. I believe it was the first movie book I did. Um, was was I took that on? I did the. I, I analyzed the um, the movies, the the the, uh, the Peter Jackson films. I didn't get into the Ralph Bashke, um animated ones from the late seventies, early eighties. The, the the problem with those is I like them. I kind of grew up on those, but they. They they definitely take a lot of liberty with the material. They cut they cut stuff out. They interweave it together, um, and I like them. Um, you know, I like the Ralph Bashke, uh the the Tolkien and the Hobbit. Probably the, the Hobbit is probably better than the Lord of the Rings um, 
material. The Hobbit's probably more tr- more faithful to the source material than the Lord of the Rings uh, was. But no, that was animated. And that was good stuff. But no, the Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. The the uh, you know that's one. I mean that's a great example of you know the monomyth. Um, you know, being present, you know, with that. I mean, that's like a Star Wars type movie almost. And uh, yeah, I did the uh, I did the three Peter Jackson films, um, in in I think it was Cinema Symbolism Part One. And then I thought, well, if if I'm going to do those, then I got to take on The Hobbit, which of course then he did The Hobbit again. That was uh, and he did those in three movies also, which I very much enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I they were great. And that's uh, that's I think the final chapter of. Uh, CS3, I want to say off the top of my head. So, no, um, I love the I love the Tolkien material. Well, I, I think one of the other things that I I was finding that that while while analyzing movies is certainly where I picked up on being more aware of symbolic things going on and symbolism um, as a whole in the movies, but but I have I have found that. I can I can find it in um, magazines. I can find it in all sorts of other places where where you you, you begin to realize that there is a, a subtle other message that is that is being sent to you if you're aware of it. And I mean, your books have taught me a lot for sure. And and I think uh, one of the other things that that I found fascinating um, I had somebody on a while ago that was into the archetypes. Um, in fairy tales and how the fairy tales were really messages, you know, especially um, the Grimm brothers who were grim for sure. But, but yeah. their, their symbolism in their stories was telling a story, you know, and, and telling it in story fashion so that the message got across and was implanted in people's consciousnesses. And, and so, you know, there, there are, there are, um, Definitely, the symbolism goes into the fairy tales that we are so familiar with, Rapunzel and Hansel and Gretel, and you know all of them, um, where they were grim. They they were they were teaching us something, and, and the symbolism is there if you look for it. Oh yeah, fairy tales, fairy tales, definitely. I mean, you got the rule of three um, going on in fairy tales. A lot a lot of the fairy tales are again. This is the solar imagery you know just retold over and over again i mean this is the case with little red riding hood you know the the whole notion of the you know the maiden falling into the wintry sleep to be awakened at the vernal equinox by the sun the young handsome prince blue-eyed blonde hair the, the 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 solar figure so yeah i mean again it's it's a lot of um you know if 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 you if you read the guys, you know, if, if you read the stuff about the archetypes, I mean, the one thing that, you know, that they kind of all conclude is the archetypes all come from heaven. Um, the, the archetypal imagery all is the planets, the moon, the sun, the stars, the constellations, and their interactions with each other. I mean, that's what the book of Revelation is uh, in, in the Bible. Um, there's a book um, that I have. I can't remember the guy. It's, it's on the shelf behind me um, where he gets into the book of Revelation. I mean, if from start to finish – you know, you know, he he goes through literally the entire book of Revelation from literally the start to the end and said, you know, in this paragraph, it's this, this is a con, this is the, you know, the Antichrist Draco is now ascending on the eastern horizon, you know, and, and gets into when, when the book of Revelation was written and everything that is occurring in the sky is what these guys are writing down in the book. You know, the Antichrist, there's Draco, the great dragon on the ascent, uh, you know, and it's it's all just happening in the sky 
not here on earth, but it's, you know, happening in the heavens above us. And again, it's the same thing with, with all these stories. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, you know, you have, you know, you know, you have the soul, you know, you mean, you know, the solar hero, you know, uh, Perseus, you know, Hercules with the 12 trials, uh-huh. you know, the 12 houses of the Zodiac, you know, Perseus, you know, w- you know, with the dragon or, or St. George slaying the dragon, you know, Draco, uh, the constellation, you know, what, what happens when the sun rises, you know, the stars disappear, they flee, they're deceased, they're, they, they're vanquished. So this is where you get the legend of St. George slaying the dragon coming from. So, yeah, I mean, this is all, um, you know, all, all these archetypes, the sun, the moon, um, the, the, the heavens, the, the, the constellations, the deacons associated with the um, different ha- signs of the zodiac. Um, this is what is all being drawn upon and being brought down here to earth, you know, as above, so below, I guess, you know, the hermetic maxim, as it were, and is being incorporated into these stories, um, whether they be fairy tales, whether they be Star Wars, um, whether they be the characters in a lot of the uh, mainstream religions. Um, it's, 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 you know, when, when you become, when you become in tune with that, um, it's easier to decode and decipher. And it, you know, it, it kind of, I don't want to use the word, it falls apart, it, but it just makes it much more easier to see. Um, at least that's what my research has brought, you know, has brought to me at any rate. Well, in, in this latest book, I found that I was more aware of your use of astrology and, and tarot and, you know, the Gnosticism um, stuff along with the archetypes. The archetypes I, I, I recognize, you know, but but yeah, I, sure. I was more aware of the astrological, the tarot, and the, and the Gnosticism. Um, it, that felt new to me, and it probably was in the other books, and I just didn't recognize it in the other books. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think I touched upon it a little bit. I probably went more all in with that because, again, when you're dealing with astrology and the tarot, you are inherently in dealing with the archetypes. Um, so, you know, that was something that I, I, I kind of wanted to draw into this. Uh, maybe I did it more in this book than I did the others, um, you know. But, I mean, no, that's uh, – I mean, it's wonderful that you got that out of it and, um, you know, that I was, I, I was able to present it in a way you were able to understand it. So, um, no, you know, I mean, it's, it's – you weren't missing – you know, you, you, you know, I mean, I know I – you know, it was, it was definitely in there. And uh, I, think, I think it works because, um, you know, again, you're just dealing with this imagery that's uh, subconscious yet is part of all of us. Um, so, you know, you, it's, it's easy to see, at least in my opinion, to see where um, – you know, a lot of these filmmakers are drawing the source material from. And it, it's funny, too, because, um, you know, a lot of the books that I rely on, you know, in my bibliography, um, I'll just tell a quick story on this. I know Hollywood uses this as well, uh, uses some of these source materials. There's a book that I'm a fan of. Um, it's a, he's an esoteric author. He's, I'm a fan of him. His name is Richard Cavendish. Um, he's got a couple books out. One's called The Black Arts. Although some of the things he describes in the movie are not the black arts, um, he just puts he just throws everything in that's mystical um, into this uh, you know into this book. Um, but it's a good book nevertheless, and he has a book on tarot also, which I'm a fan of. Um, and I was watching a uh, made-for-movie uh, television show that came out in the early 1970s. Um, it was a movie called um, it, it was it's a, it's a show that I was a fan of. It's called Cold Jack the Night Stalker. Um, with Darren McGavin. Um, it's the forerunner to the X-Files. Um, the reason I t- I'm telling this story is um, they made a sequel to it called, it came out like in 1973, called The Night Strangler. Um, and this, this, this story, he was like this investigative journalist who was always pursuing these sort of occult stories 
people, you know, who are vampires or witches and things like that. And he, um, and, and he, in, in the second made for TV movie called the night strangler, he was investigating this guy who was living forever and he was using alchemy to create this elixir of life, um, to, 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 to create it. Um, and there's a scene in it where he goes to a college professor. This is Darren McGavin. And the college professor is none other than Margaret Hamilton of all people, the, uh, wicked witch herself. Um, and she starts describing, he, he starts asking her about, um, you know, mortality and the elixir of life and, and alchemy and things like that. And she starts describing it. And I'm not kidding you, Barbara. I could literally pull off. I could literally, I took my copy of the dark arts by Richard Cavendish off the shelf and you could read it. She was, the people who had written the script had literally taken uh, four or five, six sentences out of this book verbatim, literally, and, and just had her, and just stuck them into the script. Um, you know, you know, she starts getting into the elixir of life and alchemy and some of the alchemists, you know, you know, Paracelsus and people like that. And you can literally sit there with the book and read along with her, with Margaret Hamilton, reading this, reading this in, into the script um, that these filmmakers created. So, you know, I mean, if that doesn't tell you right then and there, you know, that there's a very deep familiarity with this material in Hollywood, you know, you're fooling yourself. Well, I think, in 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 my opinion, that that any of the any of the writers um, who who write material for movies or television or commercials um, have a certain amount of creative energy that they are accessing, and and when they access it, when they channel it, when they bring it through themselves, it definitely has that that spiritual gnostic flavor to it. And I think you can almost tell where the writers are coming from as to how they are plotting a story. Um, it, it's it's been I'm fascinated with it. With with even some book authors, you can tell when the author is connected to something, someone, somehow they're connected to another energy, and a, and, and a story flows. And in the next book, they're they're writing. It's 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 cold. It's it's it obviously researched and and well put together, but there isn't that flavor of a flow to it. And when they hit the flow, then magic happens in, in a book on the screen on television. And you know, Kolchak was one of my favorite favorites of all time. Um, so so, I, I think what what I'm what I'm feeling here as I as I look at stuff now when I read a book or see something I'm always looking for was there a flow here is there something that comes from beyond just the thinking mind from the creative mind and and you can tell there is a a special magic that comes through whether it's dialogue whether it's scenery whether it's whatever that someone there was connected to another level of creativity that was beyond what they actually had. So, so it's exciting yeah. to watch. That's why I, that's why I keep asking you to watch Avatar. Um, but there is, there is that magic there, and, and it's sort of you can tell a lot of the movies that, that become well followed and well, you know, that th they become popular and they make a lot of money. Those are the ones that, in in my opinion. <laughs> that have that kind of a flow to them where you can see that there is something else flowing into the consciousness of the writer to portray on, on paper or on film. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think, I think, you know, and again, I think a lot of the, you know, more uncanny symbolism, you know, does have that supernatural flair to it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely something that I, I picked up on. I mean, I remember when I was watching, um, you know, the two movies that I, I talk about, you know, because they're kind of related. I mean, they're not related, but they're made by the same filmmaker, which was Hereditary and and Midsommar. Um, you know, it was, it was, I felt like, you know, I know he was using the number nine a lot in Midsommar, but I, I, you know, it has to do with Norse mythology. But then I was also wondering, you know, did this have a reference to this other demon that he was, uh, you know, you know, talking about in Hereditary, Payman, which is the ninth demon in The Lesser Key. And I just, I just, I just couldn't, because Midsommar was just so bleak and so dark. I just couldn't help but think somehow or another that, you know, dark, that dark force just, filtered into that movie somehow, somehow on like a supernatural level. I don't even know if the filmmaker was aware of it, but, and, and Ari Aster's great. I mean, I, I just love his work, but uh, it's very bleak and very dark, but um, I really liked it. So no, I mean, you know, I, you, you definitely, at least for me, it, there is sometimes when I watch these, you just feel like there is this sort of supernatural uh, vibe that you pick up to them. Uh, I guess The Exorcist is another one, you know, because it's just so dark oh, yeah. um, and so bleak. Um, but you know, and even like the one, the one, the other one that I always wind up talking about is um, that that is kind of that I always throw into there because it's just such a dark film. Was uh, the Black Cat with Karloff and Lugosi? I mean, for whenever that came out, I think 1933, 1934. I mean, that just deals with, I mean, so many you know dark themes, um, and especially in that time frame, um, you know, it's it's just just a very it's just a very grim film. But I do like it. Um, you know, Karloff and that one is the Crowley analog. Uh, you know, that definitely is, is based on the, uh, you know, is based on the great beast himself. So uh, very dark film, but I loved it anyway. Um, so, no, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I just love watching the films and uh, seeing, you know, what's in there and seeing, you know, what these uh, filmmakers can, uh, you know, you know, put in next. And uh, I, I know there's some films coming out or that came out that I'm really very much looking forward to uh, seeing. I haven't seen them yet. I mean, I know there's the new Matrix movie. Um, you know, I haven't seen it, but I can't, you know, if it's anything like the other ones, there should be, one would think there'd be something going on in it. Um, oh, yeah. I, I took on the, yeah, I took on Dune, the David Lynch Dune, but I know there was a new one, and, I, and that's out. Uh, I want to check that out. And I know that there's one that comes out tomorrow called uh, Last Night in Soho, which I'm very much looking forward to seeing. So um, I can't wait to see that. You know, and again, I haven't seen them yet, but definitely ones that I'm looking forward to. And there was another one um, also. It's escaping me. But um, there's a couple out right now that I'm, I want to see, you know, but um, at any rate. Do you ever go to the movies to just be entertained? You know, I haven't. I, I, I really I, – I do watch um, – I do watch uh, the movie for an entertainment purpose where I can kind of take off my analytical hat and, and watch the uh, film. Um, I did this when I was watching Halloween Kills. When I first watched it, I kind of just watched it. I, I loved the last one. I loved the last Halloween movie, and this is the direct sequel to it. So when I got that, I, I was just watching that for fun. Um, and I very much liked the movie. I thought it was terrific. Um, I very much am in more into – I don't really go to the movie theater that much anymore. Um, and it's not COVID-related or anything. Um, I just – for me personally – I, I just love watching it on, you know, just having the home experience with it where I can pause it, stop it, get up and do something, come back to it. Or if I see something like that startles me, I can pause it or go back and rewatch it. Um, 
So for me, I just, I just, for me, I just like, I just usually wait for the Blu-ray to come out and I just get the Blu-ray and then uh, take it from there. I, I very seldom go to the movies to watch a movie anymore. Like I said, that predates COVID though. Um, and one of the reasons for that is, um, it's because the movies becomes readily available. Um, you know, in the 1980s and 1990s, um, and I guess this is because of the age of video that we were in, you know, this is all pre-internet. When a movie came out in the theater, there was a lag. Um, I mean, if you're my age, you'll certainly remember this. There was a lag between when it was hit the theater. Yeah, I mean, there was a lag between when it hit the theater and when you got it on VHS tape. I mean, it was usually around six to nine months. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, I mean, you know, if, if a movie came out in the theater, it was, if a movie came out in the theater, you know, like in the winter time, let's say December of like 1994, let's just say, um, that movie you would not have access to, whether on cable television or VHS tape, probably till August or September of the next year. It was usually nine months. Well, nowadays, because of Netflix and the internet and everything like that, um, you know, if a, if a movie's released in October, I mean, it's available three months later. Uh, I mean, Halloween Kills came out in October of uh, 2021, and it was released last week. So you only have to wait like two and a half, three months to see it. So that's what I do now. I just wait. I just wait for it to be released on uh, Blu-ray, and I just get the Blu-ray and take it from there. But no, I, I do watch movies um, just just to be entertained. Um, but there's always, you know, for me. Um, you know, and especially if it's a movie that I'm anticipating something like, I mean, the, the first, the Halloween 18 had loads going on in it. And um, immediately when you throw in Halloween kills, I mean, it kind of picks up where the other one left off. So it's like, oh, wait a minute. I mean, here we go again with the role reversal, you know, when I was watching it. So I, I can watch them for entertainment purposes, but, you know, my mind's kind of pretty much always turning. Um, but no, I can watch movies for just solely to be entertained by yeah, I know. Uh, as far as turning it off and walking away for a while, that's that's how I was with Silence of the Lambs. I couldn't sit and watch that whole movie straight through. I just, you know, I had to take a break in there, and I couldn't watch it at night. I had to watch it during the day. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes, it's a creepy. It's a creepy film. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think sometimes films trigger stuff inside of us that we aren't even aware is there until it happens and then it could be even it could be past life or it could be something this life a trauma of some sort but sometimes they they just trigger an aspect inside of you um that 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 you can't deal with yet so you know you have to either stop and come back later or or just not continue watching and and i think that's what I don't know what it was in Silence of the Lambs that hit me, but something did, and I, it terrified me. And even when I knew what was coming, it still terrified me. So it, it was either it, it's something inside of me or, or the movie maker was that great that he was able to get that reaction from me. I'm not sure which it was. Yeah, there's uh... – no, there, there, there's truth to what you're saying to that. Um, I mean, it wasn't necessarily with Silence of the Lambs. For me, the one thing that I always kind of – not that it doesn't worry me and I'm not scared is I always find that when I'm watching these movies that are highly symbolic, like The Shining or Midsommar and a movie that I've analyzed, I always find that I kind of put them away for a little while because I know if I go in and watch it again like six, seven, eight months later, I know inevitably I'm going to see something 
that I missed the first, you know, eight or nine times. And that always kind of is like, oh, you know, I missed that. I guess I'll have to make a note of it in Cinema Symbolism 4 or something like that. Um, but when it talks about what you're talking about, like, you know, with stuff like that, no, that that is definitely a uh, a documented phenomenon that um, – and it's not it, – it, 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 it's in movies, it could certainly do it, but it can also go beyond uh, cinema – where if you have anxiety or depression or something like that and and you get over and it's five or six years later, um, it has been well documented that um, something, you know, people who have a relapse into it or, you know, get depressed or anxiety, you know, have a bout with a slight anxiety attack or something. Um, a lot of times it's subconscious and it goes back to the original and it can be the slightest thing. I mean, it can be a color combination matched with a smell or you know, something you're not even aware of, I mean, or a sound combined with a uh-huh. color and a smell or something you caught out of the corner of your eye where it's like, whoa, you know, wait a minute. And you you, you don't even know what it is. Um, no, that's definitely a documented uh, phenomenon that psychiatrists and psychologists, you know, have talked about where, you know, if, if you've had a, a bout with depression 10 years ago, um, and even if you know what caused it, um, you know, you, you went through, you know, you had treatment or whatever, um, that you, you can, you know, even now, 10 years later, you can, you know, hear a noise or a sound or a color or, car- you know, maybe something like you said in a, in a movie or a television show that can just drag you back into that. And you don't even know what it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, a documented, you know, phenomenon that has happened, you know, that can happen to a person. Well, you, you've, um, you know, while, while your book is about movies, um, there, there was actually, you know, something that, that you wrote that, that talks about narcissism being portrayed by, by, by Melville and, um, let's see, and Poe and uh, where, who else? Oh, oh, Thomas Aquinas and Albertus Magnus that, that the the symbolism that we see in movies is is smack in your face, but it's also been in 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 too that that the symbology is still there in reading a book and how the author describes situations or 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 surroundings or you know depending on the writing it, because when I read a book I see pictures in my head, so right so. So the so that this kind of symbolism is in books too that go back hundreds of years. Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. This is something that I'm going to flesh out more in Cinema Symbolism Four. But no, you're absolutely correct. I mean, you know, Herman Melville with Moby Dick. Um, you know, you certainly have oh, yeah. um, Ahab as as the demiurgic uh, figure, and I mean, you know, there there are definitely Gnostic references to the demiurge to Sophia. Um, you know, I, I believe there's there's a portion in there where Ahab compares the demiurge. There's a, there's a lot of it with fire, um, with 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 the demiurge forming a nexus to fire, and then Ahab is also uh, there's a lot of fire imagery around him, and of course he, you know, is 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 you know tr- treats the crew of of, of of the of the ship sort of as this malignant demiurge, this you know oppressive godlike figure. Um, I mean, Nathaniel Hawthorne is another one. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, um, the uh, the uh, cast of Amontillado is the anti-Masonic affair, right? Where uh, 
yeah. where a Fortunato gets uh, bricked up in the wall with the Mason's trowel and disappears forever, um, uh, you know, by the by the by the main character in that thing. Um, so that that's uh, that's a, that's a whole allegory of the uh, William Morgan uh, anti Masonic affair that Poe lived through. Um, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Uh, the Scarlet Letter is an alchemist lab where Hester associates with the uh, colors red and yellow. Um, these are this is of course the Rubido and the Citronatus, and then of course Chillingsworth. Chillingsworth associates with black, the Negrito, and Dimsdale associates with white, uh, the Albedo. And of course, you have the alchemical wedding in, in that where uh, Pearl. The, the perfected child is created at the end. So, um, you know, the Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne is nothing more than an alchemic, an alchemical lab. Um, so, no, uh, you know, you get into Shakespeare and Marlowe also with this stuff. So, no, it, it, it definitely, uh, you're 100% correct. This predates uh, Hollywood. Um, and, yeah, you can find it, you, you can definitely find these esoteric themes, this, you know, sub-layer, of esoteric imagery, whether it be Gnosticism or alchemy, um, going on in you know Poe and Melville and you know a lot of other these characters, uh, you know no no I, that that is irrefutable, no doubt about it. Well, I think it's something that everybody should understand that that you know you haven't you haven't created something you have you have brought something to the fore that has always been there, and and that uh, that that it it has been at work within our subconsciousness and our consciousnesses, um, it, it's a way of um, it's, it's a way of awakening aspects within us, and, and you know us recognizing them that that is that is profound, and and you know I, I've often wondered you know it I, I'm sure it's not as evident in all movies, but it. I would think that it's in every movie to one degree or another, like the Truman show, you know, that, that was basically in, in many ways kind of a comedic thing. And yet there's a huge message there. Oh yeah. Well, the, 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 the Truman show is definitely one of those, you know, Valentinian Gnostic fables right up there with the matrix where you have the guy living in the false reality and is questing for, you know, his true self. I mean, that's his name, Truman, uh, the true man. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, uh, you know, no, no doubt about it. The one, the one thing that I liked in the, in the book that I, I was just on another show, I was mentioning this and I'll just get into it briefly here was, you know, and again, how, you know, like you said, how this stuff is so kind of like transcendent. Um, I mean, especially with like the monomyth, you know, which is itself archetypal. Um, one of the things I did, and you know, if you read the book, uh, if you read CS3 was, um, you know, I said, you know, you know, you can find elements of this thing just about in anything. And one of the movies that I took was this movie that came out at the same time as Star Wars. I, I looked, I tried to find the antithesis of Star Wars from the late 1970s. And I thought, well, let me, let me, let me see if I can't do this. Um, let me find the movie that is like, you know, the antithesis of Star Wars from 1977, 78, and see if the monomyth is present in this thing. And of course, the movie that I came up with was Smokey and the Bandit with Burt Reynolds and Jackie Gleason. And sure enough, I mean, you will definitely find, um, you know, you can, you know, as, as I break down in the book, um, you know, Big Enos and Little Enos Burdett are your threshold guardians. Uh, you know, you have your road of trials with uh, 
the bandit going across, uh, you know, crossing state lines, going on this, you know, cross country adventure to get the bootleg, the beer. Um, the Jackie Gleason character is clearly, you know, the ogre father figure. You have the meeting of the goddess with the Sally Field uh, character. So, you know, you can find, you know, the, the, the elements of the monomyth, um, you know, I mean, just about turn up in everything in some form or fashion, maybe not like they do in Star Wars or the Matrix um, or, you know, Harry Potter, but they're there. Um, they're present. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, again, with archetypes, um, you know, and, and, and the Truman Show, for instance, like you, you brought up. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's a comedy with Jim Carrey, but it's, it's a you know, I mean, it has, you know, your demiurgic creator, Christoph. I mean, the, the creator of the false reality. Um, I mean, you have, you have, I mean, you have Truman at the end, you know, sort of the Valentinian Christ, um, you know, ascending up into the heavens at the end, standing there cruciform, um, you know, sort of the, the, the liberator, the, the liberator of the, you know, trying to, uh, you know, liberate himself, but the viewer from the false reality that is Sea Haven. So no, it's, it's, it's a very religious movie. It's very profound. It's very Gnostic. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if you wanted to list, um, you know, if you wanted to list like the top five or six or seven Gnostic movies that Hollywood has ever produced, you know, or made, um, and you wanted to throw the Truman Show up there in, in the top five or so, I mean, I wouldn't argue with you. I wouldn't um, have a problem doing that. Um, I mean, it's 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 one of those it's, it's one of those movies, and I, I mentioned this in the book, and I, I guess it's psychological. Um, you know, it, I, I guess it had to be. I, I don't see a bunch of filmmakers uh, sitting around planning this out. But you did have. I mean, it was. It, it is. It is. You know, documentable. I talk about it in the book that this slate of Gnostic films that we always wind up talking about. You know, whether it be The Matrix or The Truman Show or Dark City or Fight Club or Donnie Darko, they they all came out in this five year window. Um, from about 1997 to about 2002, where you had the turnover of the millennium, you know, whether this has something to do with the change of age from Pisces to Aquarius or the millennium, you know, these, these Gnostic films, they all have to do with this idea of uh, awakening to self-consciousness, of, of coming to know thyself, of, of having this conscious awakening. Um, and it's all these same movies, and they all came out in this five-year time frame from about 97 to about 02, you know, coinciding with the turnover of the millennium. Um, and I guess that was psychological. Um, you know, I, 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 that's what I chalk it up to. Um, but no matter what, they're, they're, you know, it's there. And, uh, you know, um, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. Uh, again, I think it's more psycho psychological, perhaps a dash of supernatural as well. But, you know, it definitely happened, no doubt about it. Yeah, it, it just seems to me that that uh, television and movies, I mean, they, they are being used in in a, a new form. In that that there is always a subliminal message there, and um, it it seems that we don't always grasp it. But even though we don't grasp consciously the message that is being sent it definitely is implanting material into our consciousness. And, and I, I, I look at uh, the Star Trek stuff. Um, when Star Trek came out, they had the doors that opened and shut. They had the uh, tricorders. They had the scanners. They had all sorts of stuff. Then, and here we are 10, 20 years later, and all of us are walking through doors at shopping malls and not thinking a thing about the fact that the door opened for us and shut, or flip phones, or 
computers right. or you know i mean it it's almost like it's almost like on some level they are first of all giving us a hint at what's coming in the future and second of all giving us greater depth of perception as to what has gone before and how we can use that material and and in changing our lives and changing the way we deal with the people that we come in contact with so that so that you can recognize some of the archetypes in people and then you can get kind of an understanding as to how best to deal with them so that so that it is teaching us on a subliminal level and in many ways we're in the matrix the tv and the computers are all programmed to help us understand or to give us information or to steer us in a certain direction. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I I don't disagree with, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I mean, you know, again, you know, the movies can be prophetic. Um, It's just, you know, just like you said, just become aware of it. Um, Just become aware of what it is, um, you know, you're watching and uh, you know, pay attention to it. I mean, I guess this is one of the motivations why I wrote um, the books and continue to write the books is because it's just such a fascinating study. Um, the lengths that these filmmakers will go into include these deeper hidden layers of esoterica um, in their films. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they really do, um, you know, it, it's, it's arguably the most potent and powerful form of media that's ever created, whether it be television or, or cinema. And, um, you know, they just, they just go through, you know, they just use, um, layer upon layer of these ancient doctrines, um, you know, whether it be hermeticism or alchemy, you know, the archetypes, um, you know, you know, the Renaissance guys talk about the archetypes, you know, um, Giordano Bruno talked about him in his works about they, they, they didn't have, they didn't use the, uh, word archetype, um, that wasn't available to them, but the word that you're constantly seeing surrounded these guys in the Renaissance is you, you'll see the word or the, the phrase shadows from the world soul. That's what, uh, you know, uh-huh. that's the term they use. Um, these are shadows from the world soul. It's, it's, it's constantly the, the term that these guys are using. And um, what they're all saying is, you know, when you, you know, it's when you become in tune with them. This is what like, guys like Bruno said, when you become in touch with them, um, you are becoming closer to the Godhead. Um, and why is that? Because all the archetypes come from the heavens. And that's where God is. Um, they all come from the planets and the stars and the interaction. And this is where God hangs out. Um, so they are all divine. And when you become aware of them, you become aware of the divine in of, of, it your, of yourself. Um, and again, they didn't use, they didn't have the advent of uh, modern psychology. But when you read these guys, the, that's the term that's constantly you'll see is shadows from the world soul. Um, to describe the you know the archetypes uh, and what have you. So no, I mean um, it's 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 definitely um, uh, you know Hollywood definitely uses it. And uh, like I said, it's uh, just such a fascinating study for me um, to do it. And I guess and I've been on other shows and I probably even have said it on this show before. One of the things that I really like about um, this, this examination is is you can find it. I mean you can see it. It's not it's 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 really. Um, you know, it, it's like with Bigfoot or UFOs. I mean, is it really Bigfoot or is it a guy in a gorilla suit? You know, is it really a UFO or is it Venus or something else? Um, you know, I could, you know, when, when you read the book um, or read my book and you watch the movie, you should be able to see this stuff with your own two, two eyes. Um, you know, whether it be, you know, a movie like The Shining with the repetition or, um, you know, what have you. Um, that's to me, is one of the reasons, or, you know, Midsommar with the number nine or, you know, 
take it, you know, whatever way you wanted to take it. Um, that's one of the reasons why I like uh, this study so much, as you can see it with your own eyes. Oh, yeah, and totally relate to it. It's It's sort of like, wow, I didn't notice that at first, but look at that and and especially with the when when uh when i don't know when did symbolism one come out how long ago was that yeah that came out let's see that would be it originally came out in 14 so we're talking like eight years ago yeah i mean i i find it hard to it was funny too because it'll be royal arches uh coming up on 10 years old originally and that's like you know whoa where did the time go yeah well when when i first when we first talked about um so it was my God, it was over 10 years ago, just about, well, up close to 10 years. Um, yeah, probably close to and, 10 and years, yeah. That's, that's when I first, you know, started to, to look at the archetypes and, 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 you know, see times in my life where I was reflecting one archetype and then other types, times in my life when I was reflecting other archetypes. And I could, I could, you know, if I sat down and said to myself, okay, what's going on in life and how am I reacting to it, and what archetype would that relate to? I mean, it did help me to understand life as a whole, and and so in in many ways, it it was an instruction book for me to first recognize where I was and where did I want to go, and shift my life to change my life so that I was going in that direction. So at, that said, do you want to take um, a short break now? We're at a place yeah, where absolutely. I wanted to get. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, let's take a short break. Um, you know, we'll take a f- five, six, seven minute break, and uh, I'll I'll be back. Uh, yeah, let's see. It's I'll be back in like five, six, seven minutes. Does that work? Sure. I'll just sit here and ramble. Okay. Okay. I'm, so, I'm going to mute um, my mic, and uh, I'll be back in uh, shortly. Okay. Great. Um, so I, I okay. think it's important that that people understand that the material that that he's presenting can be used in all sorts of places in your life, not just, not just looking at books and movies and television shows and ads on, on television and stuff like that, but, but when you understand the different archetypes and you understand what makes them up and, you know, the heroes and, and the saviors and all of that, um, you can see where you are in your life and, and you certainly can, you know, if it's a good place, then you can give yourself a pat on the back and continue on your way. Or if it's a place where you would like to change things, you at least know what it is that you are per, you are presenting to the public and what it is that you, you want to change that to and beginning to work towards it. Because I've always said to people, if you don't like your life and what's going on in it, then you have the power to change it. And that's true. And understanding archetypes and understanding a lot of the other material that, that Robert does present in his books gives you the education and gives you the opportunity to be able to make those shifts and changes. And I think when first I read his first book a long time ago, um, it opened the door to, to my understanding movies and what they were saying and what kind of message were they presenting. And, and very much like um, when, when you look at the TV shows and when you look at the movies and you, you see the computers everybody's got, and they're Apple computers, and therefore it kind of plants a seed in, in you if, you know, well, if I'm going to buy a computer, maybe I should buy an Apple. And 
so that subliminal message is being sent to us in movies and in television and all over the place. And when you become aware that there are these messages that are kind of being shoved at us and, and you know, spoon-fed to us, actually, um, <clears throat> and understand that, that I think it's 45 seconds or 30 seconds, between 45 and 30 seconds of watching TV, it has put you into a, a state of alpha which means that you are easily impressioned by whatever is coming your direction so that so that you are getting a subliminal message of whatever is being presented on the television and if it's more than just a a verbal message if there are visuals connected to it those two are being implanted into your subconscious so that so that you we are being in some ways programmed and manipulated by by the television and entertained for sure but but do understand that um you know i if i see a dunkin donuts commercial i'm so hungry for them it's awful and happily there's not a dunkin donuts real close or i would be out the door getting some so so do understand that that we are when we're when we're staring at the television for any length of time we are open to suggestions that be are, are being made on the screen and if if you find, especially your children, are watching only one kind of show, you might want to sort of shift and change their seeing habits as to what's going on so that they aren't imprinted with um, messages that, that might not be as good for them as, as others might be. I know that uh, I am more aware of what I watch, and, and uh, if I had children, I would definitely be very aware and I would definitely limit their uh, television time. It's 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 fascinating material, and he goes into the astrology, he goes into the tarot, he goes into astronomy, he goes into um, all, all sorts of other different modalities that that can be used for analytical purposes in your own behavior and how you feel that you are dealing with other people and and life in general. So that it is an amazing education of perception, and I think it's really important that that the longer we're on this earth plane, the more aware we have to be as to what what we are reacting to and what is being imprinted upon us, and not only that, but how we are impacting other people by how we are treating them and speaking to them and dealing with them. So his books can be um, an amazing education in an understanding as to what we subconsciously, um, how our subconsciousness is being used to program our everyday life. And um, it's, it's phenomenal. This last book, um, the over 800-page book, um, is an amazing amount of information and and I would I would recommend people if they if they're going to read it to read it slowly because there's so much information in in each of the sections that that you have to be able to absorb it understand it and and it isn't just for analyzing movies it's for educating you as to how things are perceived and how you can interpret things happening in your daily life to a better, wiser, more intensive, more insightful uh, degree. And, and so um, 
it, it's a lot of pages, but there's a tremendous amount of information there into Gnosticism, into the Kabbalah, into um, Freemasonry even. And, and when he gets back, we're going to look into, hopefully... Um, into Elvis. The, no, we're not looking into Elvis. <laughs> although although his comparison of Elvis is, is really fascinating. But I want to go into the Freemasonry and the uh, National Treasure um, movies because I thought that was really cool. And Harry Potter into... Um, just exactly how Dumbledore and Harry and I mean he he compared Dumbledore to uh, Hermes Trismegistus, so um, his stuff is very Im- Im- impressive and um, he goes into so many different directions. You know, it's 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 a roller coaster ride of information, and that's why I said read it slowly because it's not something that that. Um, that you can, you know, just just casually go through. Um, I don't think it's possible to see all the movies that he talks about. I know that I've seen a lot of them, but but a lot of the titles I don't even recognize. And some of them, after his synopsis, I, I really, you know, yeah, probably not go into some of them. But but Mark, Al, back. how about you? Oh, okay. Oh, I, hi, Ron. Yeah, um, oh, I, oh, hey, I, I'm here. I hardly endorse Rob's uh, books. I, he just brings – draws your attention to new perspectives and new possibilities of interpreting these works. Absolutely. But I, okay, I was I'll, telling I'll, everybody, you're going to stay gonna go or you're going to go? Into my, yeah, I'm going to go back into you know my uh, little cave here your, and your let cave? you finish the show. <laughs> Okay, don't go away. Um, but I was telling them, Rob, that I thought your book was was chocked full of so much information that I highly recommended they not read it rapidly. But read it, read sections of it, and then go back and read them again because there's so much information there that that um, you don't want to miss any. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, tr- I tried to be, I always try to be uh, thorough. Um, with, with the with with the books, um, you know, and 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 always try to you know give give the best information. So you know, and and again, it's 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 important to me because um, you know if if a person's coming to this for the first time and doesn't necessarily have the background with it, you know, I, I always try to provide, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, <laughs> I mean, I always try to provide you know information as to what you know, some of these Gnostic philosophers are saying or alchemy and how it works and stuff like that. So, um, you know, yeah, the book, the book can be used, the books can be used as a resource also. I mean, if you don't know what alchemy is or you don't understand, you know, what spiritual alchemy is or something like that, you, you know, or, or, you know, you'll get an understanding of it and then you'll be able to, you know, I give you examples of how it turns up in pop culture, I guess. Yeah. It's more of a te- it's, it's more of a textbook for sure. And and it's something that that has to be, you know, you can't you can't you can read it fast, but you won't get what you need out of it. Um, I guess you do, but but I felt I, I felt that that you almost had to absorb stuff before you went on to the next section, in order to be able to understand and build upon what you got in the first section. So it's it's a fascinating book, and um, you know I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did want to go into though um, the um, couple of things you you talked about 
uh, Gnosticism and Occultism in the Blade Runner and the, and the Fight Club and the Truman Show. Um, you want to expand upon that, especially with the Blade Runner, because that's the one I'm most familiar with. Right. Well, you, I mean, you know, the 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 um, well, I mean, the 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 nexus fixes this. You know, the the idea of the artificial intelligence. Um, you know, this uh, comes out of you know hermeticism and Kabbalah, whether it be the hermetic statue or the Kabbalistic golem, the creation of the artificial artificial life. Um, and clearly, you know, in 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 Blade Runner, in the original one. Um, the, the Rick, the Rick Descartes character, his name is a play on Rene Descartes, um, who was into automatons and robots. Um, ah. he was a, he was a, he was a Renaissance philosopher. He was a mathematician, but he was into automatons and, and the emotion, you know, robots and their relationship to emotions. So the whole name of Rick Descartes is a play on Rene Descartes, um, the 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 whole whole I mean you know the whole idea with with the with the Gnostic theme in that one in Blade Runner is that uh, it's kind of like the Dorothy Gale in the uh, in Wizard of Oz is that Descartes has this great epiphany at the very end that the the robots are the the Nexus Sixes who are more philosophical than their human counterparts if you watch Blade Runner um, I mean are deserving of life are 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 worthy of of life and shouldn't be exterminated um, I mean and even even the the one that Batty even quotes uh, um, or he misquotes um, uh, William Blake at one point in in the original um, in, in the original Blade Runner uh, Rutger Hauer. Um, there's a quote where he gets fallen angels fell. That's from William Blake. That's from America, the prophecy. Um, William Blake was a, a, a English mystic. He's probably Emanuel Schwettenborg's greatest critic. And he created this own cos- this Gnostic cosmology um, based on Kabbalah, um, where, you know, if, if you read Blake, uh, Adam Kadmon is uh, Albion, and Eurozine is the demiurge. Eurozine is the guy, if you're familiar with Blake, he's the guy kneeling down with the Masonic square and compasses in front of the moon. That's the frontispiece from Europe, a prophecy. So you, ha- you have this injection of William Blake into, into Blade Runner. Um, and again, you know, with Descartes, I mean, it's, 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 it's the same motifs you see again and again and again, you know, where... At the very end of it, you have, um, you know, you know, Descartes ascending uh, the building, ascending the building, you know, climbing the mountain, as it were, in the rain, the baptism to receive enlightenment, and then, and then, you know, I, 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 I love uh, the one scene where, um, you know, you know, it's, 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 it's you kind of have this, you know, with, with Gnosticism, it flirts with alchemy. Um, the the, re, the 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 Renaissance and medieval alchemists took their ideas from the Gnostics, um, and of course you have Roy Batty. Roy is uh, you know the Red King. Roy means uh, king in French, and then you have Pris dressed up as the White Queen at one point in, in the in the wedding veil. It's the alchemical union of, of the male and female, mm-hmm. the hermetic androgynine going on there. I, I thought that was always interesting uh, some symbolism uh, imagery going on in Blade Runner. But then of course I mean then then you have it the end where Batty becomes the, you know, Valentinian Christ figure, the enlightener, 
um, you know, where he has the stigmata in his hand, the the, the nail, uh, you know, the the wound of Christ in his hand with the with the piercing, you know, with the piercing of the of the hand, and then you know the, the the whole thing with the dove at the end, where it's released, and that, that comes straight out of the New Testament, where where you know it's Daddy releasing his soul, you know, that's they're they're they're, they're Kind of trying to tell you that you know Batty you know does in fact have a human soul. That's what's going on in in the in the first Blade Runner. And then you had Blade Runner twenty forty nine, where it kind of kicked this up a level. Where it's if they have souls, can they can they emote and specifically can they love? Um, can the Nexus Sixes love? That's the whole um, uh, theme going on in in, in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um, so no, it's it's Blade Runner was a movie that I originally took on in the first cinema book, but I felt I expanded on it in Cinema Symbolism three because I took on the uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine movie. Ah, well that that's always been one of my favorite movies. It's it's uh, it touched me. <laughs> What can you say? Yeah, Blade Runner's great. Was... That's uh that's yeah, that's uh Philip K. Dick. Um and of course he a lot of his works um you know have been made into movies in Hollywood and um I mean yeah, I mean Philip Philip K. Dick is one of those guys who is is you know, one of these modern Gnostic uh writers. You know, you're dealing with, you know, things related to false realities and um you, you know uh, conspiracies and things like that i mean uh blade runner um was based on one of his stories it's called do androids dream of electric sheep um what was was what blade runner was born out of and then uh then if you ever see total recall with arnold schwarzenegger um that's yeah. that's also based on a william k uh you know or uh, philip k dick excuse me uh novella i forget the name of that one so no he's very popular in hollywood and again uh, you know, the Adjustment Bureau uh, is another one, uh, uh, Philip K. Dick. So oh, Existence is loosely based on him. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're dealing with Philip K. Dick, you're ine- inevitably dealing with Gnostic and occult and conspiracy themes. Wow. Well, how about National Treasure? Here's another one that, that you know, you, you, you mentioned was uh, went into the Royal Arch, uh, Ark of uh, Enoch. How I mean, I I recognize in National Treasure a lot of the symbolism being Masonic, you know, and because they told you. Um, but um, is there anything beyond what what was obvious, you know, with with National Treasure? Because I mean, it was it was an amazing movie. It was enjoyable, and and it 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 really does um, again open you up to the symbolism is. Um, you said it was it, it echoed the ninth the ninth gate. Now, how did how does that echo the ninth gate? Well, it's it's it it, it, run, it runs parallel um, with with the whole idea. The the, the national tre- national treasure part one and part two, where I originally took one in the Royal Arch of Enoch, and it's a it's a uh, it's 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 a it's a Masonic ritual. It's the Royal Arch of Enoch. It's um, the um, the it, it, it's it's the 13th degree in the Scottish right, and it's the ninth, it's the seventh uh, degree, excuse me, in the in the York right, um, and it's it, it, it's it's the whole the whole ritual involves the discovering of the Masonic Templar treasure in a subterranean vault in the holy you know beneath the holy ground in Jerusalem. That's the Masonic ritual, and of course this is what's going on in the movie. Um, you know, it's the uh-huh. discovery of the Masonic. Templar treasure beneath the holy ground. Uh, they said it in New York City, 
which is a reference to DeWitt Clinton, who is a very famous Royal Arch Freemason um, and former governor of New York, excuse me, former mayor of New York City and governor of New York State. Um, so when you watch National Treasure, you're watching a Masonic ritual. Um, and of course, if you've ever seen the, you know, you know, the whole if, you, if you're familiar with the ritual, the treasure is veiled under nine archways. Um, it, it's concealed under nine arches, um, and this is a motif um, that you'll that comes out of Christianity. Um, it's 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 the celestial hierarchies. Um, it, it, it's it's part of the occult Pauline tradition um, that it, to order to ascend to heaven, you have to pass through these nine celestial hierarchies guarded by these archangels. Um, in order to receive, you know, to, to get to the Godhead. And of course, this is in the ninth gate. I mean, it's the same thing. It's coming from Dante Alighieri. This is why there's nine levels in hell, nine levels in heaven. Um, you know, and, and the same thing within in the Royal Arch. There's these nine archways denoting this, you know, nine levels of spiritual purification that you have to get to. And of course, in the, in the Masonic ritual, when you go through the nine archways, when you go beneath them, what's, what, what's the treasure? What's the name of God? Um, you know, it's divinity. Um, and again, it's the same, it, it comes out of the Pauline tradition, um, you know, the celestial hierarchies, and there's nine of them. Um, and again, and, 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 the nine, and this is where the whole idea of the nine gates, nine gates come from, that you have to pass through these nine gates uh, to receive Lucifer, the light, as it were. Um, they, they put a, the, the, the filmmakers and the author of the nine gates put more of a darker spin on it. Um, but but if, if, if you're familiar with the novel of the nine gates, it's more Kabbalistic. Um, you know, it, it runs parallel. The whole, they all run parallel. It's the nine gates. It's the nine celestial hierarchies. This is the Sephirah in Kabbalah. This is what are known as the seven governors in the Hermetica. It's these levels of spiritual, uh, levels of, 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 of uh, spiritual purification the soul has to pit, transgress through in order to receive uh, you know the Godhead, as it were. Um, so, so that's that's the symbolism that this stuff is all drawing upon, um, and you can see the parallels. Like I said, in in, in the Masonic ritual, um, which which is what the National Treasure movie is based upon, um, you know, it's 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 nine arches, and in in the Nine Gates movie, it's nine gates. Um, but you know, it, they're running parallel. They're, it's 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 reflecting Hebrew Kabbalah. Christian Kabbalah, which is again coming out of the you know works of pseudo Dionysius, um, and of course the Hermetica with with uh, the divine Pymander, the seven governors uh, in that. Um, so th- that's 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 where this is all coming out of. I noticed with, with a lot of the, the symbolism with the different numbers, uh, whether it's I was just going to say it's usually single digit, but there are twelve astrological houses and there are 12 i mean the number 12 comes out a lot too it's there's a lot with repeating numbers and and certain numbers seem to have greater impact than than other numbers certainly the nine and the 12 and uh and three uh the trinity uh it seems to be a mystical a mystical connection to a lot of numbers uh that that people you know don't don't actually realize i know that uh when I was when I was actually looking for a new home, I was looking for um, I, I was looking at addresses because um, I wanted to make sure that the address to me had a symbolic meaning that was um, that was appropriate. And uh, my address is 19, and you know that comes that goes down to a one, 
which is a new beginning. So, you know, and, and I was avoiding other numbers because they, they felt heavier to me, <laughs> which, which right. sounds ridiculous now that I'm saying it. But, but um, it, it uh, and the house that I had in Connecticut uh, was one, which I thought was fabulous. And then I had another house in Connecticut that was 33. So, you know, I, I was looking right. at num- numerology uh, because it felt like it was important that the address be the appropriate number that I was comfortable with. And uh, I've been very fortunate in, in all of my selections because that's exactly what's happened. So, yeah, I'm not going to give away I, I'm not going to give away my street address, but um, I guess it's synchronicity because my number is 32. Um, so um, you know, you know, I guess there's something to that. But no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the number 12 um, again. This you know again is a number that you're absolutely correct deals with the 12 houses of the zodiac um that the sun gets you know is assisted on on its annual journey this is why there are 12 apostles um each one of the apostles is corresponds to a zodiac uh this is why there are 12 tribes of israel uh same same reason uh-huh. uh, corresponds to the uh 12 uh, houses of the zodiac i mean and you know in in royal arch of Enoch, um with the 12 apostles i do the whole breakdown um, of each one, you know, where, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't have them off the top of my head. I'd have to go back and look at my book, but they, but they all score, correspond. And of course, you know, Jesus is the solar avatar, the solar stand in Moses is the solar stand in. So it's, it's only appropriate to, you know, associate the number 12 with those guys. Um, so no num- numbers are um, numbers are a great way in film to uh, to to to, to uh, give 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 you a tip off um, at least at least for me when when I'm when I'm analyzing a film if I see a number um, I'm not always is the case but if I see a number something like that and and I and I can I can forge a nexus to it um, you know that that's a great tip off right there that okay well that, now I know something's going on here because uh, you know here it is um, one of the great ones um, and again it's one of the most overloaded movies with esoteric symbolisms uh, you know out there and it's a movie that I've I dissected ad nauseum is uh, Black Swan um, and a great great you know that that has one of the greatest uh, numerical uh, references of all of them in it where. Uh, where Nina is, uh, Natalie Portman is going into the, uh, this is near the beginning of it, is going into the uh, ballet studio or, the, you know, the rehearsal, and there's a giant poster of Winona Ryder um, hanging, on the, hanging on the side of the wall, and the date on it is February 12th. Um, and, of course, that is no accident. That is, a, that is the birth date of Anna Polova, who was a famous Russian bar- ballerina who uh, created a ballet called The Dying Swan off of... Uh, off of Swan Lake, uh, which is, of course, what the whole movie is based upon. And um, when you watch, and of course, when Winona Ryder's picture is on is, is, is on the poster, it's her, you know her face, her countenance, and of course, um, the Winona Ryder character is the dying swan. She's the one who who is trying to kill herself. She's the one you know exiting, uh, you know she, she's you know forced into retirement. She tries to kill herself. And when, when you watch the uh, end credits of Black Swan. Um, Winona Ryder is actually billed as Beth McIntyre, the dying swan. So, I mean, right then and there, I mean, okay, you know, when you see that and you could form that nexus, okay, you know, now I know 
that I have a director here who is in tune with this stuff, who is messing with me, who is using this, you know, esoteric symbolism and things like that. And then I, then that, that's when I know, okay, this movie's going to have a lot going on in it. And sure enough, Black Swan, you know, is one of those movies that is just overloaded with stuff. And, um, you know, that, that, that's always a great start for me when I can see stuff like that. Um, I was just watching the one, um, I'm not. I'm not going to belabor it because I doubt you've seen it. Um, is and you know I, I don't know if it's probably not a movie that you'd probably be into. It's the um, uh, the latest Halloween uh, kills movie, and uh, I, I guess I don't want to spoil it if people are listening and haven't seen it. But the end scene there, um, where the one character gets bites the dust, is um, a complete re- 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 reshot of uh, the psycho shower scene. Um, where Norman Bates kills Marion Crane. I mean, it's 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 completely paying homage to that without question. And then if if, if you if you really have the eye for it, um, when when uh, Michael Myers is standing in the window looking out of it, and he's seeing and you, and you can see the mask, you can catch that subliminal, very faint of the human skull on the mask. Um, and again, this is a throwback to Psycho, where at the very end of the movie, where Norman Bates is looking up after he says, I wouldn't even harm a fly. The skeleton of the mother is superimposed over his face or, you know, you know, fades, fades in and out real fast as the subliminal. So um, that was something very neat going on, or very interesting going on in Halloween Kills. And again, that's a movie that has a lot going on in it. But when you see that, that's like the stuff going on in Black Swan. That's when, for me at any rate, that I know you know, okay, you know, I'm dealing with a film here that has a lot going on in it, so that, you know, makes me sit up in my chair more. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I and I love the fact that, that, you know, you bring a lot of the Masonic stuff in because that's that's always been an area for me of of fascination and and I know um when you when you go into the Harry Potter films, especially the Sorcerer's Stone um, you're talking about, you know, Dumbledore being um, kind of reflective of her, Hermes Trismegistus, and you know that. How does that? How does the Sorcerer's Stone reflect? Um, you know, stuff in, in Freemason, the high degree of um, masonry. Right. Well, that, that's that's a really great example of this, and I guess I guess this is an example of synchronicity because I don't know if Rowling was aware of this or not, but no, um, Dumbledore is one of those guys like Obi Wan Kenobi and Gandalf. Um, you know, it's the Hermes Trismegistus wizard archetype. You know, the Godfather of Magic, mm-hmm. uh, for lack lack of a better word. I mean, and they all look alike. I mean, it's the old graybeard figure. And um, if you're familiar with Masonic lore, you know, and the old charges and uh, um, you know, all that good stuff. Um, you know, Hermes Trismegistus is the godfather of Freemasonry. Um, when, when, when the vault of Enoch is breached, um, the, the, the uh, seven liberal arts and sciences pillar is restored to humankind by Hermes Trismegistus. Hermes Trismegistus pronounces the Tetragrammaton correctly and restores the wisdom encoded on the Pillar of Enoch relating to the seven liberal arts and sciences. This is Masonic lore. This is Masonic legend that I'm talking about uh-huh. here. Um, restore, restores that back to humankind. And, of course, the ritual um, that documents all this is the Royal Arch of Enoch. This is what I wrote my first book about. This is, without question, arguably the most important 
uh, ritual in all of Freemasonry. It's certainly the most important ritual in the high degree bodies. And of course, um, if you look at it, just, you know, uh, from a strictly number standpoint, um, this ritual is the 13th degree in the Scottish Rite, and it's the uh, 7th degree in the York Rite. Um, so we fast forward now to the Harry Potter movies. This is the Sorcerer's Stone, and here we have the Hermes Trismegistus analog, um, who, of, who, of a, who of a course is the headmaster teaching the seven liberal arts and sciences, teaching magic um, to his students, you know, the educator, the educating figure, uh-huh. uh, Dumbledore. Um, and, of course, at Gringotts, what's the uh, safe number? What's the vault number? Um, you know, I mean, again, we're doing with a subterranean vault here. This is coming out of the Royal Arch of Enoch. What's Dumbledore's vault number? Uh, it's 713. Um, I mean, you can't make that stuff up. I mean, that's just incredible. Um you know, that, that you would have that, that you would have this reference to the seventh degree of the York, right? You know, and it's a vault of all things. I mean, you know, what's the entire Masonic ritual revolve around? A subterranean vault, this treasure vault. Um, and, you know, here we have Hermes uh, Dumbledore with his own subterranean vault with the number 713 on it. Um, that's incredible. I mean, that's, that's just astounding to me. Um, and I think that for, for me, for me personally, um, I guess it's possible um, that Rowling was aware of that. I find that a little unlikely. She's not a Freemason, obviously. Um, and I, I don't know what her familiarity familiarity is with Masonry and the high degrees and Masonic lore and the old charges. Um, you know, it might be, you know, I, I just don't know. Um, it could be very high. It could be very limited. But, um, you know, to, to me, in my opinion, and again, this is just my opinion, that, that to me is... You know, again, coming out of the world of the supernatural, you know, the collective unconscious, something, something to that effect, um, that she would choose that number for that for this guy. Um, it's just astounding. I mean, and, and again, you just can't make. I mean, again, this is the file cabinet of you can't make this stuff up. Uh, that this is coming out of. Well, you don't necessarily. You know, I can't remember. I mean, I've read the book, and and obviously I've seen the movie. Uh, but I'm wondering if maybe the vault number was put in by some uh, one of the production staff or something like that. I believe it's in the book, if I remember correctly. Um, I, I don't remember. So. Oh, okay. But, I but think it's in you're the right. book. I, 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 yeah, I, it's in you know, the movie it, for certain. Yeah, I'm just, it, I'm, it, it, you know, it, you do wonder because. I mean, while while Freemasonry material is out there, I don't I don't know if she was was trying to make that analogy, but she certainly did. And yeah, she did. Um, I mean, that's that's just it. Wonder how she did that. I, I, it, 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 it's 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 in the movie. I know that for certain, and I'm pretty sure it's in the yeah. book. Um, and and it's um, the the. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, that's just what I'm saying. It's incredible. I mean, I, I, I don't know what she know or what, what Rowling knows or doesn't know. But, I mean, the fact, I mean, out of all the numbers in the world she could pick to have that one, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, and again, to me, this, this in my opinion, is supernatural. I mean, this is coming out of this collective unconscious, you know, world of the supernatural where the creative process, you're just subconsciously drawing on these motifs that you're not even aware of. That's what, in my oh, yeah. opinion, well, is going on. Well, that's, that's what I was saying before, that there is a level of consciousness creative people get to where they have access to 
information that they're drawing on unconsciously that has more meaning to it than they actually are meaning to put into it. And yet, you know, while they may, it may feel random to them, if they're in that flow, they're certainly connecting to that message that they're bringing forward. Um, and, and your comparison of, of Dumbledore and Hermes, it has you Gandalf too, um, in, from the Harry Potters, you know, they're, they're, I mean, Gandalf and Dumbledore could be the same person. And then, yeah, so could Obi Wan Kenobi, you know. Yeah, yeah, you could throw Kenobi into that mix too. It's the same character. It's the old gray beard wizard figure. It's the hermit card, you know, of the tarot. It's 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 the same. It's the same archetype. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I mean, this is how, you know, I, I get I get more asked on shows about the nine eleven stuff and about how movie is prophecy. And, and this is the way I try to explain it is that again, it's 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 the supernatural force that is putting this that, that is you know, is somehow being drawn upon subconsciously and is just turning up in film and in pop culture that is unintentional, but there it is. And, and the fact that it's supernatural, in my opinion, um, again, uh, to me, just makes it much more interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's fascinating. I mean, you know, that, that, that it's happening and uh, you know, but it is, I mean, there it is. You can see it on the screen for yourself. Well, if, if, you know, you you did um, mention that, that Vanilla Sky and The Matrix had almost references to 9-11. Now, those two movies were before 9-11, weren't they? Well, right, right. The, the Matrix the Matrix was um, came out a few years before 9-11. Um, Vanilla Sky was filmed before 9-11, but was released after it. Um, Vanilla Sky came out in December of 01. Um but it was filmed prior to 9/11, and um, I mean, in, in Vanilla Sky, the the 9/11 reference is the very end of the movie. Um, it's over 20 years old. I, I guess I'll spoil it. Um, and of course, I mean, when you watch it, I mean, it's just like whoa. Um, you know, the the movie is, it take, takes place, I believe. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's actually given a year. Um, it may be 2000 or 1999. I can't remember. But at the very end of the movie. Uh, the Tom Cruise character ascends um, a, a very high skyscraper that overlooks the Twin Towers, which you can see in the background, and he has to jump off of it to receive enlightenment, to, to come to consciousness, as it were, um, uh-huh. if, 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 if you watch that. And, I mean, when you see it, um, yeah, I mean, it's the first thing you'll think of is 9-11. And um, the, the director talked about this, um, that, you know, when the movie was in pre, was in post production, um, the movie was shot prior to nine eleven. But when when the movie was in post production, there was a lot of pressure put on him to remove that scene um, at the very end because of what had happened a couple months earlier. Um, and he didn't do it. Um, he he didn't get, give in. He thought, no, you know, this is the story. This has to stay in there. And um, I'm glad he didn't because it's very profound. I've I always found, for me, uh, this is just me speaking. I always found the 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 the, the not, some of the nine eleven references leading up to the event in movies like Fight Club and Matrix and things like that, uh, and I'm not saying this to be mean spirit or anything, but almost like tongue in cheek, um, as it were. Um, but the one in Vanilla Sky is very poignant. I mean, it's very depressing. It's very sound. It's very it's very sad, um, and it, and it kind of really does bring you back to the day, you know, that all these people died, um, and especially when you see Tom Cruise leaping off the building. 
I mean, right in front of the Twin Towers, I mean, it really does bring it back to think, you know, you know, these, these people jumping off the buildings, of course. Um, you know, I mean, and it, it, it's very poignant. At least it, it is, in my opinion. Um, I, I like Vanilla Sky. It's a very sad movie. I, 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 I It's a very good movie, I, I think, but it's uh, kind of depressing. Um, it's one of those movies kind of like uh, Somewhere in Time, you know, with Christopher Reeves. It's kind of just a downer. At least it is, in my opinion. But, mm-hmm. um you know, you know, I, I, li- I like the movie and it is it is inherently Gnostic. Um, you know, it, do- it does deal with the the false reality narrative. Um, you know, what is real? What is it? Um, and if you have if you've never seen Vanilla Sky, by all means, check it out. So, um, you know, it's, it's a great movie and it's a, it's one that I uh, analyzed in uh, Cinema Symbolism 3. Yeah, no, it, it, uh, I've not seen it, but now I'm going to have to go watch it. But happily. You can call it up on your computer, and you don't have to pay it to, you know, see see the actual movie in the movie theater. Um, also, the, what I found fascinating were the the um, in the Wizard of Oz, the initiation process and the the um, information to to Alice um, in the in, in yeah in. Well, it's it's yeah. It, the Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland are the inherently the same story. Um, the uh, the the you know it's 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 the journey of enlightenment. It's it's the Gnostic epiphany where Alice goes underground to receive it. Dorothy goes up, up and away. Um, yeah. There's tons going on. There's tons going on in in um, in, in in those two stories. Um, you know that that is esoteric. Um, I mean, even, you know, in Alice in Wonderland, the whole thing with painting the white bushes to red is a reference to the Rosicrucians. You know, I mean, you know, who, you know, John Dee's thought was behind the Rosicrucians and, of course, was a mathematician. Lewis Carroll was a mathematician. Um, You know, I mean, a lot going on in that. Same thing with Wizard of Oz. Um, L. Frank Baum, who wrote it, was a member of Madame Blavatsky's Theosophy Movement. So, um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, again, two stories that run parallel with each other, where the protagonist has this Gnostic awakening. Um, essentially, it's, it's, the, it's the entire modus operandi of the Hermetic tradition, which is to know thyself, um, which is, of course, yeah. what these characters uh, wind up doing. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, those are, you know, two stories, again, just overloaded with esoteric symbolism. Well, I, 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 in Alice in Wonderland, the uh, I, I, I forget who it was that gave Alice the. I think it was a. Oh gosh, I don't. Re- I, it was a bug who told her to keep her, her her perspective, and that was important for her not only in her own size but in her views of everything. So, uh, you know, amazing, uh, amazing messages in in all of this that. But I think it's 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 really cool for all of us to pay attention to, and and you know you certainly have given us food for thought all over the place, and I hope we have enticed people to to get your book and read it slowly, um, and 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 I mean slowly only because there's so much material and there's so much information. If you if you go through it too fast, you know you're going to have to go back and read it again. That's all. Um, you want to. Uh, kind of give us give the audience a, a way of getting a hold of you or your book or your website and and we will um send them on their way to hopefully Amazon. 
Yeah, I mean, well, uh, first off, well, thank you for having me on tonight. It was my pleasure to be here. Um, it was a wonderful show, as always, and uh, I always love coming on Nightlight. It's, a, it's, it's your wonderful host, and uh, again, it was my pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, if you're interested in what we've been talking about tonight, um, go, to, go to my website, um, you know, which is my name. My name is Robert W. Sullivan IV, and that's my website. It's Robert W. Sullivan IV for the fourth, the Roman numerals, or the letter I, the letter V, Roman numerals, for the fourth. Um, there are links there to purchase the book uh, or all my books. Um, they're all available in print edition and in ebook form. You can get them off of all the main online retailers: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Books a Million. Um, you know, they, they all they're all for sale there. There's um, you know upcoming you know information about upcoming shows that I'm going to be on um, and podcasts that I'm doing. Uh, you know, information about me. So just go to the website. Um, it's very easy to navigate. Uh, www.robertwsullivaniv.com. And again, links to purchase the books. Um, you can just go to Amazon or, you know, just type in the name of the book, um, you know, or what have you. But there's links there to buy the books, information about me, information about upcoming shows and podcasts and things that I'm doing. Um, so just go there again, www.robertwsullivaniv.com. Um, and everything you need will, should be right there, right there um, for, you to, for you to navigate. Well, I, I thank you so much for furthering my education tremendously and um thank you for writing the books because they certainly open up many doors for investigation and opening our our eyes as to um a lot of the messages that are that are subtly placed in front of us when we're in a mesmerizing type of stand uh state so that so that we're getting messages that we don't even know about. This way we can recognize some of them and, and in, some, in some ways learn from them and use them. So thank you so much. I so appreciate all your time and all your efforts and, and certainly all your books. Well, thank and you, Barbara. And again, it was, my pl- yeah, it was my pleasure to be here. And when the next one comes out, we'll do it all over again. Sounds good. Thanks a lot again. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, This will be up on YouTube later on, and if you're watching it on YouTube, please make sure you subscribe to the show because that's how we know you're there and that's how we know you're listening. Thanks a lot, everybody, for joining us. Good night, and have a good one.